talking about innovation in teaching and education, popular podagogy. Discussions that are topical and sometimes philosophical, popular podagogy. Popular podagogy. Good afternoon, Josh. It's always a pleasure working with you on these popular podagogy podcasts. How are you doing today? Good, good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We've got a rainy day out there, but it's nice and dry in here. So <laughs> it is. Count our blessings. Uh, Josh, I was thinking about our exciting podcast topic today and getting our students outdoors to teach the curriculum. And I was trying to remember back to my own elementary school experiences. And I must admit, I don't actually remember much of my learning from that time, but there were two memories that came to mind. And I just wanted to share them with you and get your thoughts on it as well. The first one uh, was a light and sound experiment that we did in grade four. Uh, as, a, as a class, we hiked out to a massive field where half the class stayed with the teacher and the other half walked the, what seemed like a mile away with a parent or another to another field, but still in sight of the other team. And then what we did, I remember we had two walkie talkies, we had a couple of binoculars, a red flag, stopwatches, and the coolest of things, we had this starter pistol. Um, and we proceeded to do several experiments to try and demonstrate that light and sound traveled at different speeds. And Josh, it was absolutely amazing. And what I learned, I still still sticks in my head today. And it's I, I just think about that often. I here's how many years past that, and I'm still remembering that. The other lesson was a kite flying outing that we did in grade six for the flight unit, where we designed, built, and tested our own kites. And those are basically the only two lessons that I can remember in detail from my entire elementary school time. So what about you? Do you have any elementary school learning experiences, Josh, that you still remember? Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. And, and I, I do, I mean, kind of as I'm listening, I, I think there was a really cool one we did. Um, I think it was grade seven, grade eight, possibly science class. And then we had to build a, a canoe or a boat that held you and your partner um, out of cardboard and tape, uh, basically, and, and see how far you could get on the day of. You had to build your own paddle, build everything. The entire class did this. It was over multiple weeks. The end of the year, we went to, we had a boat launch in, a, in our town that had kind of two ramps about 100 yards apart. And we had to see if we get from one to the other without sinking, right? So it was, it was a really awesome half day outing. That, and it was, it was a lot of fun. So I remember that one. Um, that one really sticks out. And then field trips. We went to Gould Lake a lot, uh, multiple times over the years, probably multiple grades, but there was this really uh, amazing kind of outdoor cave. We had to find different rocks sort of thing. And I know, I think mica was the mineral that we had to try and find and just bringing that back and learning about the different minerals that, and just being outdoors was, was incredible. So those are two things that stick out for me. And kind of like you said, I don't remember a lot of those in-class experiences, right? I remember those outdoor ones uh, going outside and learning, and especially that canoe project was a lot of fun. That sounds amazing. It's amazing when we can actually explore and do things outside, and it's still part of the school curriculum or still yeah. part of the school journey. And, and like you said, those are the things we remember. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to like this topic that we've got today because we've got two guest speakers coming in that are gonna talk just about what you and I discussed, and that's getting our students outside and learning in nature and having those fun hands-on experiences that uh, you and I still remember after how many years back. So it should, <laughs> be a good, it should be a good one. Awesome, looking forward to it. Hi there. 
Thanks for joining us and welcome to another episode of Popular Podagogy, where we try to bring big ideas in teaching and education to life. I'm your host, Chris Carlton, and this podcast is being brought to you by the Faculty of Education at Queen's University. As teachers, many of us know and have seen the powerful benefits of getting our students outside to breathe in nature and play. Teaching our students outdoors and letting them learn and play in various subjects has been shown to strongly support their emotional, behavioral, and intellectual development. In this podcast, we will be speaking with two innovative educators who are getting their students outside for many different subjects in creative and fun ways. We will discuss why they feel it is important and how it can be accomplished in any season. I'd like to introduce our two guests to our podcast today. And that is Eric Raken, who is an elementary educator with Limestone District School Board, and Paul Gifford, a lead facilitator with Teach Outside, which works with the uh, Upper Grand District School Board. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank Glad you. To be here. Now, Eric and Paul, I've been teaching for 17 years, and at the end of this school year, my students do a reflection questionnaire for me to comment on how I can improve my classroom uh, for the next year's students. And I have to tell you that I get some pretty honest comments on things like the quality of my dad jokes and my dancing skills. Uh, but, but without fail, when they list the top three things that we need to keep doing, it's always the outdoor experiential activities that they highlight as being memorable and fun. And I know that isn't going to be a surprise to the three of us. So I asked this question for our audience. Um, and we'll start with Paul. Paul, why is it so important to get our students outside? Or why do you think it's so important? Well, it's always been important. Uh, and of course, it's, I think it's memorable, memorable because um, you actually, your brain actually landmarks your experiences in nature in ways that it doesn't anywhere else and the, and the physical activity. I think right now it's so important, um, probably more than ever because of the pandemic. Um, and, and what will come in the shadow of the pandem pandemic, which is a mental health crisis in school. Um, and I know that the diagnosed mental illness in school age children and teens was 20% before the pandemic, it's now 40, so it's doubled. That's diagnosed. Um, so you can imagine the undiagnosed and, uh, and teachers that I work with have been seeing, they see it in their classes that, that these children are suffering. And one of the simplest, least expensive, most effective ways to improve mental health is, is to get out into nature and experience human nature in nature. And um, we can do that. You know, a school is never far from a good landscape. Right. And it's that grounding effect you're talking about, just getting them out and even just hugging mm -hmm. a tree has that amazing effect on, on everybody that gets to experience that. Yeah. Um, Eric, can you elaborate on that? I, I, I agree with Paul. I think that's a really, really important thing. Um, you know, I, I even go even farther that, uh, that uh, generally speaking in our society, we've lost real connection to the environment. Um, and, you know, we're talking about a time where, uh, where that reestablishing that connection is really, really important. Um, because that distance that we have with the environment allows us to make decisions and, and carry our life in a way that we maybe don't really understand the impact of what our, our, our world is, is going to be. You know, so many, 
so much of the lifestyle of kids now is, you know, about being comfortable inside and, you know, their social life is so tied to devices and, and, you know, that kind of connection. I just see the ability to have young people outside uh, and understanding how they fit within that, you know, natural environment is, is really, really, really important. Um, I also think it, it's a way to kind of maybe break down some of the perceived risks that people have about being in the out of doors, especially as we live more and more inside, um, that if we can do and make connections in school, hopefully then kids realize, okay, you know what, it's good for me to be outside and, and it's okay for me to be outside and I want to be outside. So yeah, I, I, I really, I think it's an incredibly important thing. Yeah, agreed. Interestingly, that you mentioned that, 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 I mean, kids used to play, when we grew up, we played after school uh, pretty much every day. And one of the reasons I, I run this program in local landscapes near the school is that the children who live in those neighborhoods then can go back to those places after school as their parents become more comfortable with, with the actual risks versus the perceived risks. I, I totally agree with that, yeah. I guess that idea of getting that bubble wrap off of our children as well and, and getting them outside to experience it and realize that it is as safe as Eric, you were saying as well, it's safe. Now, um, because of my passion in teaching science, I have a lot of fun experiments that I can do outside and ones will, that will align with all of the seasons. So whether it's snow mm -hmm. volcanoes or summer pond exploration, I use nature to highlight hands-on science and get the students to connect as we were just talking about um, with what they're discovering. So my next question, Eric, you can start with it. What have you discovered about teaching different subjects outside and in different seasons? Is there, is there only a narrow band of subjects that we can teach outside? No, no I, don't, I don't think so. And I think really the only limitation that we've got is A, a what we're comfortable with uh, and B, maybe, what the time is that's available. Um, and when I say that, um, not everybody's always gonna be comfortable branching out and, and getting outside, but you know, I, I think as we kind of dabble in it, if we're not somebody that's a little bit more experienced then we develop some confidence and then we're more likely to, to get outside. When I say the time aspect of it, of course, is that you know, is there's always this dance about, uh, about how do we manage you know, curriculum and, and, and manage it in different ways. But if we can kind of change our lens so that we're thinking about, okay, what can I do to carry it, carry, carry this outside, then, then it becomes more and more easy. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, what I've done in my, with my class in the last little bit. And, and, you know, before we went on air, we, we talked about the snowfall and, you know, we're, we're kind of moving into a poetry unit where we want to be able to develop connections. And we had a big snowfall here, you know, about a week ago, Monday, and the kids walked in the door and I said, don't even take your stuff off. <laughs> like, okay. Like grab a pencil, uh, grab a writing lap board. Okay. And we're going for a walk. Uh, and of course, right away, the door opened with questions. Where, 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 are, you, where are we going? What, what, what are we doing? And, uh, and we made our way down, you know, through a series of parks to a local spot where we've got some running water. And, um, and we ended up doing solo sets for about the first 20, 25 minutes of the day where the kids had the opportunity to just kind of sit, kind of gather themselves at a time of the year where it's kind of crazy, uh, but also then to collect th thoughts and ideas that tied, tied to the theme that we were going to come back to. And that was the idea of connecting to, to winter. 
uh, I dropped the kids off, you know, after a little while, we picked them up. And one of the, one of the kids in my class, a, a young man said, uh, so how long, so how long were we sitting for? And I said, you know, 25 minutes. And his words immediately were like, where it was, what, 25? Like, it feels like we were only sitting here for like five, 10 minutes. And, and I think, you know, that, that's not an example where, where, you know, we think about what a limitation would be, but, you know, me taking the, the writing planning process outside just gets them to just kind of open their mind a little bit and also be kind of grounded with the environment around them. You know, and that could extend to all kinds of things, you know, social studies, you know, recently we, we visited a spot where there's a great national amphitheater that overlooks the lake. And we did a, a social studies lesson on, um, on indigenous connections to the land and treaty rights and the local treaty. Uh, and I think things become more real in particular and some topics like that when they're actually on the land and, and interacting with the space. Yeah, that incredible connection that they can make with, with nature being right in front of them whether it's poetry, social studies, science. Paul, what have you found? Well, I liked um, Eric's words, real in particular, um, <clears throat> that you do connect to something that is clearly real and, and it often is quite particular. It's very specific, which, which is a really good thing when you're trying to get to curriculum. The problem with curriculum is that <clears throat> um, what children will discover uh, in, a, in, a, in a natural place may not be what you have planned, or even if you have planned it, not in the order that you had planned it. Or, and I get this all the time, well, we did growth and changes in plants, you know, last month, or uh, we did rocks and minerals last, last, or they're doing it next year, right? To which I say, no, they're doing it now. Right now, those two, <laughs> they are doing it. Um, the other thing about curriculum in nature is there is an ecology to it. Um, obviously science is, is a subject that people associate with, with, with learning outdoors, but there's an ecology to the way children discover things in nature. And one thing tends to lead to another, which leads to another and then loops back. And there's all these interconnections. And so what I try to encourage teachers to do, and, and I only work with teachers that teach multiple subjects, that they'll have they might have social studies science math language um whatever the combination they're going to have four or five subjects they have time and then they can be creative in allowing children to uncover the curriculum versus covering it in their linear plan right um so allowing it to emerge standing back a bit right so there really isn't anything that you couldn't uh, the children couldn't learn out there. And the other thing is if you combine your outdoor indoor classroom well, so teachers that are really good at this and far better at than I am, um, <clears throat> developed a seamless connection between learning outdoors and indoors. It's more than just following it up, right? Um, the, the two places become indispensable. So you've got a field lab outside and you've got a more focused lab inside using the materials and the equipment and the technology that you can have in a lab. Um, you can have an art gallery, or sorry, an, yeah, an art gallery, uh, sorry, an art studio outside. Uh, but then you might have to, you know, go to the next step inside, like the group of seven did, right? Sketching outside, painting inside, or the ideas that emerge outside get so, are so memorable for the children 
that those debriefs that we, you know, we talk about a debrief become the beginning of something that you may not even have planned, right? So any subject, I mean, particular combinations I like is starting with science, social studies usually emerges through geography and just history, finding things that are, that show that something happened here and we weren't the first people, right? And uh, what Eric was talking about. So if you're acknowledging that people were there before you, what happened? Where, where were they? What did they do? How did they live? All these questions. I don't think there's a better place to, to uh, teach inquiry or to approach learning from an inquiry-based um, perspective than nature, because it just draws, especially younger children, but all children and teenagers, you know, it's also better for differentiated instruction because they will find their ways in entry points to the curriculum. It sounds romanticized, but I, I've seen it again and again. And over time, I, I just take less stuff with me, just trusting the landscape. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible extension uh, of an educational area that we can use. And I find when you, when you both talked about flexibility and cross-curricular, um, it, it takes it away from the silo teaching where when we go outside, we could be talking about math, we could be talking about science, we could be doing poetry, and it, it's all encompassing. It's just around us. And, and that's real life. So it's, it's fun to see that happen uh, with teachers when they go outside. Yeah, teachers so, will have kids working on different thing subjects following mm -hmm. an outdoor excursion often, and they get comfortable with that. Yeah. Which again like, is how we're supposed to do it. Yeah, I, I like Paul with the, the thought of memorable, right? Uh, um, because I think when we kind of step away from what a traditional classroom would be and we kind of move our way into an environment, an outdoor environment, you get the opportunity for many more memorable moments. And, and I think when I think about, you know, my own experiences as a, as a teacher and a student, what, what do I remember? I remember those memorable moments that happened actually in an unscripted way uh, that became teachable moments. Um, and, and for me, I always think that it helps me build my community um, because we have those moments. Sometimes they're not always positive. But, uh, but we have those moments that we can then attach to and then we can build off of kind of later on. And then they also become this anchor that we can, we can move forward with. Um, you know, the, the previously mentioned, um, you know, like spots, solo sets. Well, my guys, that's only the, only the second time that we've done a solo set. Um, and, uh, and, and they've already embraced it because of some memorable moments that they had before. Yeah, it's the things we take away. And, and Josh and I were talking about it earlier. When we think back to our elementary experience, it's those outdoor experiences that both Josh and I talked about, going outside and learning something and, and learning in real life. So we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back for more discussions around teaching the curriculum outside. Looking for a flexible, personalized master's degree? The Professional Masters of Education offers students the Queen's experience fully online and part-time to accommodate your busy life. Concentrations include global education, indigenous education, and educational administration. Visit educ.queensu.ca PME to take your career in education to the next level. From our conversation so far, it's obvious that we all have had success and adventure with many different subjects in the outdoors and have seen how engaged our students are when we do that. So my next question, Eric, you can start with it. 
Why do you think some teachers are still hesitant with the thought of trying to teach outside? I think it's, I think often it's has to do with what a person's comfort zone is um, and, uh, and perhaps what their own previous experiences uh, with education have been. Um, I think for many people, the notion to move your classroom to the outdoors takes away a lot of the, uh, the structure that, uh, that lots of people feel most comfortable with. Um, you know, the walls kind of hold them in. Um, and, you know, if you set your guidelines within a classroom, uh, it's just a little bit easier to manage than if you go and move outside where, you know, there are that many more variables that could possibly be, you know, involved. As we previously mentioned with a, a, another question, you know, it's those random moments that pop up uh, that can be really enriching. But I also know that for some people, because of maybe a little bit of lack of experience or lack of confidence, they become really, really daunting. Um, and, and as a result, then they're not really sure about where to go. You know, staying in a classroom, it's easier to control what's going to happen. Uh, if you go outside, you have to spend more, a little bit more time thinking about things um, and trying to think about, okay, how do I manage my students? How do I manage what potentially is going to happen? Uh, but also then when, where do I find a spot that's going to be, um, that's going to be appropriate. Uh, and, uh, and it's where I'm going to be able to find all the things that I want to find. So I think for a lot of people, you know, the idea of going outside that the struggle is, is just that it moves them outside of their, their, their comfort zone. Um, uh, and then of course, you know, for generally speaking as humans, we don't want to be moved outside of our comfort zone, even though, we know that if you know you try something outside your comfort zone, there's a great, great risk, but there's also much greater reward. And and I actually mentioned this to or asked this question to my teacher candidates, and their first response was very similar to yours. It's they're worried about the students going wild. They see them at recess time. They see them when they're doing these different outdoor activities or or the outdoor centers, and they think, well, that's what they are when they're outside. They just go wild, and we we try to talk about the fact that it, just like any new experience it takes practice it takes time you set the expectations and then the students will eventually as we've been talking they'll see it as an extension of the classroom and so the same rules apply outside as they do inside and I think Paul your part of your job is actually teaching teachers how to get outside so you've got some experience in this too like what are you seeing why are our teachers hesitant yeah so this is one I've been thinking about for a long time um, and, uh, it was, it was originally with my work with Evergreen, uh, Brickworks in Toronto and, the, and teachers at the Toronto district school board. So in, in the urban environment, um, and keeping track of what they were telling me about why it was that they didn't take the students outside. And then <clears throat> more recently in Guelph, so in, over the past five years, um, I think I've worked with probably about 50 teachers you know, and, and close to 400 uh, walking trips and just keep and really trying to figure it out. Like, what is the psychological, it is a psychological reason. What are the barriers specifically? And I did, I do, I have come up with them and it's funny, it seems so obvious in retrospect, but it took a long time to figure it out. Um, one of them is, <clears throat> it's, I agree with what Eric said, it's, it's definitely out of the comfort zone. 
but uh, you touched on something when you talked about teachers going, your teacher candidates going out, um, Chris, and, you know, they see recess and they're going, oh my God, you know, what if I take them off the property? They're, you're, they're barely constraining themselves here. One of the issues is that lands, landscapes and school grounds are not good landscapes for learning. They're, not, uh, they're, they're designed for recess for the entire school. Um, <clears throat> so you've got, an, there's actually a required amount of asphalt because it's the all, all season, all weather surface. There's no required amount of grass. Uh, you get about an acre of asphalt, two acres of grass, very flat, scattering of trees, uh, branches cut off below eight feet, not so much to prevent climbing, as you just say no climbing, it's for sight lines. The irony of all this is, well, you can see students better from the middle of the asphalt courtyard. <clears throat> and when you've got 500 of them out there, that's not a class. But if you had your own class and you had one other capable supervisor with you and a good landscape that had a mixed forest and some topography and some undulating land and places to hide and treasures to find and forts to build and all those things that have been traditional children's have been hallmarks of children's play. If you had a place like that, um, it's what they call, uh, is it Loris Malaguzzi called it the third teacher. You have, it's like you've got another very good teacher out there with you doing most of the work. Outdoor educators work with groups of 10, no more, and often less. And I challenge them, I say, okay, you go in and take 25 out for Reese, out, out onto that school ground and tell me how it went. And they're like, oh, right. And as one student put to me when we came back from uh, so we go out for about a hundred minutes in total, but we're about an hour in the local landscape a conservation area near the school. And they came, they come back <clears throat> and are told that they have to stay outside because it's, they have the recess break first and then the nutrition break inside. And, uh, and she said, why do I have to stay outside? I've been outside for a hundred minutes. I'm exhausted. And I said, just, you know, just hang out. You know, you get, there's no solo sit spots on the school grounds. And she said, you know what? The only thing I can, the only thing there is to do out here is get into trouble. And I wrote that down as a grade six student, because that is so true. I think what happens is that teachers have not experienced success in a good landscape where nature is doing a lot of the work for you, where it draws on the second teacher, which is the students themselves, good landscapes. And I, I learned all this working with Evergreen's learning programs. There are you know, sort of seven elements to a landscape that will engage children and by doing so make it safer because they are engaged, right? They learn to move through it. They settle down, they, they open up, they move like foxes, right? Um, they hide from each other. That's fantastic. When they hide, they're quiet, they settle low, they find things, right? And one thing leads to another. So I think it's, I think of a school ground, not all of them, but most of them, typical school ground is like a psychological moat around a school that, that, that is a barrier uh, to the landscapes that if teachers got out to them and got some help working with them, they would say, oh, I can do this. And that's what we do in the program. We find better landscapes, we walk there, and we allow teachers to experience success. But 25 kids, you have to have another teacher with you, yeah. right? I mean, you should. Um, uh, so that, that's probably the biggest problem is class size, 
increasingly uh, more difficult uh, to manage children in the schools. So you can't imagine taking them out and then not having good landscapes to go. So you can't experience success where nature does a lot of your work for you. That's it. And Paul, you and I talked about this a little bit, and I'm going to jump back to Eric as well. You mentioned that it takes a good three outings for teachers to start to feel comfortable about doing it on their own. I think that's what you had mentioned. Yeah, three to transition, five now. I added two more. Five 100-minute, okay. yeah. Well, just because when I went back around and I talked to teachers that weren't going out, they were just like, well, I was just there. I was just, you know, the, you know, the idea of edge work, sort of working on the edge of your comfort zone. And then you expand it. I was still in the edge uh, and I needed more time so that I got comfortable and confident. So now we go up five times. So Eric, I jump over to you because I've had some of your teacher candidates come back to me and say, because I know you're outside a lot. And they say, oh, I, I want to do what Mr. Vraken does. I want to get outside. I want to do those solo sits and things like that. And I'll say, fantastic. You're going to try it in your next practicum. And they'll say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. But they, they know the value of it. And they, they love that they did it with you. Well, that's always nice to hear. Um, thanks. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think, first of all, there's a couple thoughts with that. Number one. Practicum is really, really challenging because a practicum isn't necessarily you uh, being able to create your own learning environment. Rather, you're having to match the learning environment that, that belongs to your associate teacher. And if your associate teacher is somebody who is somewhat um, a little bit more conservative, maybe in their approach to getting kids in the out of doors, it becomes awfully hard to kind of branch out because you know, I think about something that Paul said in those multiple visits, um, you know, I don't think it's just a teacher that has to do multiple visits to become comfortable. It's also the kids. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, this year I've, I've kind of had to change, change what my approach was. And, you know, it's that whole transitioning, returning back to school at, a, at the time of COVID. And, uh, what we traditionally do is we go to like a local conservation area and, you know, take a, take a city bus to get there. We walk in, it's about a 30 minute walk. And, uh, and then we spend time at the conservation area and, We've revisited the conservation area four times during the year, different seasons, different, different experiences. This year, I didn't get to the conservation area in time. And then with a you know, change of washroom facilities, because of course that's always something to factor if you're away all day, I chose a different path. But the thing that was most apparent in going to the, the park that we went to is that there were a couple of students that really, really struggled with it. And they struggled with trying to kind of find grounding and you know the next day when we kind of talked talked it through what one of them said you know it it was almost it was almost overwhelming like this is the first time we've had a field trip in two years and he said it was just it was I just didn't know really I really didn't know what to do um, and you know that's and I and then I got caught doing caught, caught up doing things that maybe I wouldn't normally do which was which was fascinating to me um, because it did make me then think, okay, did I, did I take too big a step? Because when I, when I think about this process of how do you develop it, you develop it by, by taking baby steps, developing your confidence, their confidence. And I think, you know, I, I start the year, I don't, we don't even come in on the first day when the bell rings. <laughs> like the bell rings, you know, we meet in our spot and I say, drop your stuff, we're going. Uh, and we actually will spend the first 
you know, 30, 40 minutes outside doing things, but already I'm kind of like coaching them on how, how we need to manage being outside, right? How are we going to circle up so that everybody can see each other and how can we, you know, understand that that's a way of showing respect, right? And uh, it's, it's those baby steps that I think then really quickly, Paul, total up to, you know, your, your number of five, yep. but it's not just for the, for the educator to develop confidence yeah. and trust in their kids, but it's the, that the kids then kind of think, oh, okay, all right. So this is how this is going to go. And, and, you know, oh, we're going to do this now. And it's like, okay, I, I got this because we've done something similar like this before. And, you know, we're going to get to explore. But there's still parameters, right? Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I developed something called stepping stone landscapes. So one on the ground, on the school grounds, right? if they have something that's got enough in it that we can experience some success and begin to transition the children into the, this idea of the outdoor classroom. Um, and then one that's not too far away, that's got more elements. Like I will, I'd spend hours surveying land around the school that kind of set up literally what are stepping stones, baby steps. And what I'm finding now, Eric, it's interesting that you talk about this is that, uh, teachers are asking in advance for those. Like normally they haven't maybe thought of that, but this time they're like, do we, can we go, do we have to go off the school grounds on the first trip? And I said, certainly not. Um, and we won't ever go until the students are ready. So that's the other thing is if you try to go too far with your class too quickly, because they do need their, out, their outdoor routines and rituals and structure, and you need actual infrastructure, you know, place to sit. Um, <clears throat> landmarks, boundaries. Um, so what I often do now is I say, let's, what are your rituals in the classroom? How is your structure working for you? Let's mimic that, right? And let's take, um, you know, it's like an immersion. Let's take steps and, and, and exactly. By the time that's all finished, we get two full classes out in the landscape, but it takes that long. And you're kind of desensitizing teachers culturally to what they grew up with. Uh, in the classroom anyway. And um, there's no, as you, I don't think there's any mandatory training um, in this, in a, in a faculty of education, right? No. It's a choice that people take that, that, that it's, it's an option. So of course they don't, um, they're not comfortable with it, but they, they do quickly take their indoor management skills. Cause as I say, like, if you can handle this class inside all day for 190 days, you can handle them in a good landscape where there's lots to do. But you, step by step. And so both of you have basically answered the next question. Yeah. And the next question was, how do you make it work? And what would be the easy first steps? And both of you have said just baby steps. Yeah. Take them out, trying to experience it and, and not expecting them to be able to go on that long hike or that long field trip without having experienced uh, the outdoors in some way before that. that yeah, I, I would say that um, it depends on the teacher. Like I think Eric would be able to pull that off. Um, and then use the discomfort that he was able to manage on that long field trip. So, um, but, but, it, but for teachers not to get scared away from it and, and um, baby steps, the thing is you gotta, you gotta, I really believe you gotta find a good landscape, right? If you take them out to the asphalt courtyard and that, and that's not a baby step, that's not, that's going to backfire unless you're, unless you bet balls and hoops and, and, and that's, but that's a different class. You need to go where there's actual nature, natural infrastructure, 
And we now know from good research what those things are that, that to look for. So a lot of what I do with teachers is this is what you're looking for in a landscape. And it includes, you know, boundaries. It includes um, um, kind of the great, you know, the, there are hazards that you can see. Um, and so the risks are, are real and you can manage them. But you want to be in a landscape where teachers really feel like, okay, right, I, I trust this place and I'm now trusting my students in it as they've adjusted to it. So you've got to take, I, I did take a group into the Rockwood Conservation Area too soon, right? And there's cliffs in there, right? And nothing happened, but it, the teacher was, was really worried and I don't blame her. And that was the problem. It's like, I was ready for this and I knew where they were. She wasn't. So we went, we, we had to go step back. Yeah, right? Teachers, they can do this, but there's no, nobody ever shows them how. Yeah, I, I also think that you um, you can develop your confidence in a number of different ways, right? And, you know, regardless, you know, before before we started the recording, we were kind of talking about where each, where each of us are. And, uh, and I think in many, many cases, uh, the school boards, there's opportunities to have your kids outside. And if you're not if you're not somebody who's ready to to carry the load initially, as far as organizing everything, you know, there's lots of opportunities for you to go to go to a place or or travel to a spot where there are people that can can kind of help with the management and the organization or, or even a little bit of the curriculum development right uh, you know in, in our board we're fortunate we have an outdoor center called Gould Lake uh, not every class can go they, there's lots of people would like to go uh, but for people that maybe have never really had the experience they have trained people that can help guide your class and and, and create that framework and I think as you go to places like that, I think in many cases, people will go and think, okay, this was great. I think I can maybe try this, or, or this is something that I could possibly try on my own. And that's how then they kind of widen what their comfort level is. You know, I think about Paul, one of the things that, you know, you said about that idea of finding the appropriate spot. And the part that I, that I always find is a kind of a delicate dance is I want to I want to travel and I want to be around our school, but I also know I don't want the kids to be so comfortable in that area that, that it's no longer worth there for like to, to learn and explore together. It's now it's like, okay, I'm on my own and I'm doing whatever I want to do. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you find spots that are wild enough uh, and you give the parameters, then it then it's great. And I, you know, I mentioned that creek earlier on. Well, I know that there's there are kids that I teach that are in that creek. <laughs> they tell me about being in that creek. They tell me about all the really cool things they find in that creek. Also, some of the things that aren't great about that creek. So, you know, I knew that when we went there, that 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 the water running water is a huge, huge grounding thing. And when I wanted them to have that experience about connecting to the outdoors, I wanted them to be able to hear the water. But I knew, okay, let's set the parameters, right? Okay, so, you know, I started by saying, okay, I know that you guys sometimes are in this spot. And I know that you get to explore sometimes. In this case, we're going to explore, but we're going to explore this way. Um, and that's that confidence in, in developing it. And, and then from there, then, you know, the idea is that we try and branch out and then maybe end up in, in different spots. You know, some of the toughest kids that I've worked with, when they've been in the out of doors with me and something happens, it's really remarkable to see them become kids again. Uh, and I, 
you know, think of a time that I was out and it was evening and we were out and all of a sudden, you know, coyote howled. Well, I had some of the biggest, toughest kids in my class basically attached to my hip because they'd never had that experience before. And it was like, whoa, what's that? And I can't see that, right? And, and that, that's that idea of kind of pushing the boundaries so that they learn and develop a little bit of confidence. But it's also that you realize you know, these are just kids. And in many cases, they haven't had those experiences to be outside. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I've worked with a lot. I work in specifically in schools and they get the funding because they have, you know, tough kids. And what I what I have found fair, pretty consistently is that it's like we've given them permission to, to play. It's almost like they had skipped parts. Well, I think they have skipped parts of their childhood, certainly now, having spent the last two, two years behind screens. They, it's almost like they skipped that joyful, wondrous play um, which we know, it, you know, if it, it needs to happen be, between, the, it's usually between the say, age of six and twelve, where there's some autonomy, right? That that sense of of guiding your own adventure in a space that is, it's got everything, right? That you need for that. And I think children have skipped that, and I think the tough kids in particular miss that. And if we can get them into good places and allow them to. Uh, that that playfulness they, they almost go back a couple of years and start acting younger they do i mean that's kind of what's happening and this kind of work has always helped those kids because they just have so little success in the classroom that they've given up that they ever will have that right you know what that's like um so i'm going to jump right into the next question because we're sort of flowing that way it's wonderful so who do you think benefits the most from getting students outside and using the outdoors to help teach the curriculum? Uh, Eric, let's go with you first. I can just say everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think about all the positives. I think about, uh, about, you know, the opportunities for kids to learn. I have this image in my mind about uh, a class that I had a number of years ago uh, and having a young man and we were at a local conservation area in the spring near a wetland and you know the birds were just kind of filling the wetland and there were all kinds of red-winged blackbirds that were doing that you know the takeoff from the top of a cat till to grab a bug and then the dive down and um and they were doing solo sets and for some of them it was really hard because to sit because so many of them are just want to move and I looked over at this one lad and a Canada goose came flying in and passed probably six feet over top of his head. And you could hear the wings beating and it was like the goose was going to land on top of him. And his eyes got huge and he like froze. And then the goose went by. And then when I talked to him, he was like, did you see that? That was the most incredible thing. I've never, that, and just like, basically exploded in his enthusiasm. So, you know, I think about kids that way, but I also think for teachers, it offers a whole other way for you to see your children. Yeah. See your kids. And you know, Paul said, you know, some of the, some of the toughest kids struggle in a classroom and, and it's true, but that's also because of the structures that we've got in place in class. You know, I've had some of my, arguably toughest kids that we we're outside and then they shine and it's they get to be who they are and that then makes my life better 
Um, and it, it kind of frees me up, right? So, uh, because now that we have a, a common positive thing that we can just keep building off of. So, you know, hate to say it, but it's everybody that's involved. It's a huge, huge benefit. Yeah. Selling feature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I agree with all of that wholeheartedly. Um, I, I, you know, for me, you see it quickly with the students. Now I'm working with, you know, junior kindergarten all the way to grade six, a lot of grade two, three classes. You see it very quickly, the benefits. Um, you know, they're lighting up, they're opening up, they're, 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 it's, it's mindfulness. It's all the stuff that they're not doing uh, when they're stuck inside or when they move from one screen to another screen. Um, so this is the antidote. I never have children say to me, uh, I I'd rather be, I, I will ask them, would you, would you, wouldn't you rather be sitting home playing Minecraft? Right? Um, no, definitely not. Never, not once. Um, and they never miss it. Um, and they want to go back. In time, the teachers, they say to me at the, you know, at the very end, usually, you know, it was good for my mental health too. Partly because I got to see children in an environment that empowered them. And I'd never seen it before from this child and this child and this child, what, what uh, Eric was saying. Partly because I need this, right? I forget. I mean that, you know, teachers, it's an isolating job. You're on your own in the classroom. That's the way it's set up. One teacher, 25 kids. And, and we think of a school as just being hustle and bustle and so social. Well, it is with the children, but the teachers, you know, it's emotionally exhausting. Um, meetings are <clears throat> something they just want because they're exhausted by the time they get to them. So we don't often get, uh, we don't often get to take care of ourselves, right? Uh, and I'm concerned about teacher mental health right now. Um, and, and so I've magnified that part of my program to allow them to just enjoy the bird song, enjoy the light, breathing, uh, see that their class is safe, right? Just that. Then they're ready for their next class. So are the children. The other one I would add is the parents. So they, the, the, I often hear from parents of those kids that struggle in the class, right? <clears throat> um, just saying, thank you so much, right? He, he's actually getting up in the morning excited because he knows he's going outside today. Yeah. So the, and the parents benefit because these, the, the kids sleep better. They have more of an appetite and they start playing outside at home. So everybody does. I certainly do doing the work. You know, it gets to the point where you can't not do it, right? You have to go, right, Eric? You got to go outside or you go bonkers. Um, so. I think I'm touching on that, Paul, too, is that for me as well, the, the, the teacher aspect of it, when I've got it planned into my week and I know that this day I'm going outside, it's the same thing. I get up yeah. bright and bushy-tailed and I'm excited about what we're going to be doing that day. And it's nice to have that, that feeling of, of uh, excitement going into a teaching day. So the outdoors just does that uh, for so many people. And you guys have highlighted that. So I can't thank you both enough for sharing your thoughts and expertise with us. Um, we know as teachers, we need to push ourselves to find new ways to make education engaging and meaningful. And getting our students outdoors, like we've been talking about, is one of those important ways to accomplish that. So I'm gonna ask you both, and we have to do this in like two sentences, which is gonna be difficult for you guys. Um, one final tip from both of you, what advice would you give mm -hmm. teachers wanting to try 
and incorporate outdoor learning experiences into their practice, especially when we're going into the winter months? Just two sentences. Paul, can you do that in two sentences? I'll try. Um, <laughs> I would say I would say get some help with uh, get, get another, uh, if not another teacher, a volunteer who will help you. Right. Um, so don't do this alone or go to a, an outdoor center that that offers a program and a landscape and all that stuff. That's just expensive. But go to it in a way that you're saying, you know, I'm going to look at what they're doing and seeing if I can't do that in my home school. Right. So get, get some help. All right. Don't do it alone, particularly when you begin. Awesome. Eric. Take baby steps. Uh, uh, get outside. Get outside in the area that you're comfortable with. Uh, do some unstructured things, then move to the next degree of comfort, a local park, and then slowly just keep kind of pushing the boundaries um, and the kids will enjoy it and then we'll follow along enthusiastically. I absolutely love being able to talk to uh, teachers, educators who are passionate about what they do because it just, it, it's just contagious. And, and uh, I hope with the podcast listeners, we'll be able to do those things and just for one even instant, be able to get outside and experience that aha moment, uh, both as a teacher and from the students side of it. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I can guarantee you, I'm gonna convince you to come back on another podcast because we aren't done this conversation. So thank you to both of you. You're welcome. You're welcome. That does it for another episode of Popular Podagogy. Again, thank you to our two amazing guests, Paul Gifford and Eric Braken. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be convincing them to come back again at some time to talk more about this amazing topic. Also, a big thank you to Trevor Strong, who composed and sang our new theme song. It definitely has that arrogant worm flashback sound to it, and I can never get tired of that band. Josh, where can our listeners subscribe to make sure they don't miss any of our popular podagogy podcasts? Yeah, good question. Uh, good question, Chris. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, please be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the CFRC website, the Faculty of Education website, and honestly, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. Now, before we go, I'm going to put Josh, our amazing and generous producer, on the spot. Josh, I am a, all about Queen Swag, and I'd love to give some away to our podcast listeners. So how can we make that happen? Well, what about if we give something away to the first 10 listeners that email me and suggest a topic discussion for one of the future popular Podagachi podcasts? Uh, they could email me at joshua.vine at queensu.ca with a suggested topic, and we'll pick uh, the first 10 listeners for the giveaway. I knew you'd come through with something for that. Yeah, that would be really exciting. And I look forward to reading some of our listeners' suggestions for, for future topics as well. Well, that is it from myself, Chris Carlton, our producer, Josh Vine, and the rest of the amazing podcast team. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay connected. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Popular Podagogy.